You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. This is Grand Design Podcast with DJ and Jerry Grand, as we link the chains of reason of sports, politics, and culture. Welcome to the Grand Design Podcast, episode 20. Uh, I'm DJ Grand, and I'm with my brother, Jerry. Greetings. Uh, today, we're basically revisiting an issue we did in episode seven, and we're going to be talking about equality in sports. Uh, first, let's talk about dodgeball and how it's supposedly dehumanizing. Yeah, that, that's a little bit on the uh, inequality, and I don't know how in a sport you can have equality, uh, be it dodgeball or any sport, because if everyone's equal, no one's going to win, the score's going to be tied, and then there's no entertainment, and what's the point of playing? Uh, but the dehumanizing part, I think they're coming from, and I'm going into the dodgeball movie, which is hilarious, where they pick on Winston. And he actually says, remember, kids, pick the most smallest, I can't quote uh, the actor, but I, the, the worst, most whatever, unathletic kid, uh, and pick on them. Make sure the other team picks them. And then they show Winston with a pair of glasses getting just pulverized with the ball. And he gets, the kid who threw the ball gets, a, you know, a congratulations. You know, so saying that's dehumanizing to Winston. Well, a short sidetrack right away. I used to do that in baseball. When I used to identify the word, the weakest link out in the outfield, I'd try and hit it to the right fielder. We were taught in CYO when you're up to the bat to aim the bat back at the pitcher like it was coming right back at him. So it kind of works in other sports too. Yes. Well, anyways, as far as the uh, – to put this in context, this is from The Blaze from June 12, 2019. Uh when you're setting up an environment for studio, students to learn and you introduce the idea that it's okay to slam the ball at whomever you like, even if it's with a softball, the intention is there, according to Joy Butler, who was a professor of pediology and curriculum development at the University of British Columbia. She goes on, when students think it's okay because they're being told it's okay to do that, what do they learn? People say dodgeball is being used to as an outlet for aggression or catharsis. I suspect that this is where they're learning it. Physical, edu- physical education class should be an arena where teachers are helping students control their aggression and move on instead of expressing themselves in anger, end quote. The problem I have with that is I've always been taught and I tell others that there's a lot of r- relations to sports and life. And, and in dodgeball, if you get knocked out, if you get slammed, or you get hit in the face, it's just a reason of, you know, to get back up again and don't quit. Just like in life, you're going to get smacked in the face. Only in life, it's a lot harder than dodgeball. I mean, if you think about it, it's a game. You get back up, winners and losers, you're still alive. Uh, but there are some tragedies that will come in life that you got to learn to cope with and get over. And I be- really, truly believe that playing sports teaches you that whole – it's always said that this is life. This is not football. This is life. So she's completely incorrect. I mean, that's just, well, as you would say, psychobabble. Well, yeah, well, there's, they, he goes on and, uh, in the same article. Uh, he finishes out by annihilating one's opponent. And the quote, 
Athletic and authoritative students ran the show when it comes to rules and tended to create their own teams and which allowed them to gang up on other students. The message is that it's okay to hurt or dehumanize the other. The competition is about annihilating one's opponent, and the true definition of competition is between two evenly matched teams while kids stack their teams and they really enjoy beating up on the other team. What's the enjoyment of that? End quote. Look, I always enjoyed it at first because I was little, small, growing up, uh, not getting picked. And then it was basically showing them what mistake it was and that I was actually good. And then the next time I got picked. So you got to go out there. If you really, that bothers you and you want to get picked, you got to improve. You got to go out and practice. You're going to take some lumps. So again, and you can't have, no, an even team is not a, a good game. Because again, if everyone's equal, there's not going to be a winner. I mean, I get good games. There are classic games but that doesn't mean both teams are even. Most of the time, um, the actual winner takes nothing. The better team loses. Sometimes that happens. I think they're using the wrong term by equal. I think what they really mean is parity, which is— No, I agree, and the NFL strives for that, for so everyone's team has a chance to win. But at the end of the day, what they've been trying for parity, when the Patriots winning so many, has there been parity? Well, you can't. It's in the ideal world, it would get as close to equal as possible, but it can't always happen. If it was, if it was though, there w- nobody would win. Well, from the USA Today, an article by Larry Alex Taunton, uh, he quotes the Wall Street Journal's Jeff Yang once said that dodgeball quote is a systemized opportunity for bullies end quote to target the weak. He further complained that while headshots were banned, crotch shots weren't. Look, that, that happens pretty much every. I want to say every play, but when a play, a safety gets hurt, a cornerback, defensive cornerback in the NFL, next play, the quarterback's going after that person, going right after him to destroy him, to humiliate. I don't know how many times the announcers are bringing that up. How is it any different? And this is a professional athlete being embarrassed, not Winston. That reminds me of the longest yard when they let him through yeah. and Burt Reynolds threw it right yeah. at him and, and him in, in the, the crotch. crotch. He didn't do that again, did he? He, didn't, he wasn't the dirty player that, that he was before that. It also says, according to Fox News, quote, researchers argue that there is a hidden curriculum of dodgeball that reinforces the oppression of those perceived as weaker individuals through the exercise of violence and dominance. Look, dodgeball is no different than any other sport to where there's going to be a dominance in a weaker team. And, yes, the whole point is, I don't know how many times I've heard we didn't step on their jugular. We left them in the game, and they came back and won the game because we didn't want to dehumanize or embarrass them. They didn't, put their, they didn't take them out. They didn't go out and destroy them. I think – I don't agree with them, but I think their argument is that the weak don't have – the non-athletic weak don't have the same chance against the athletic type. Now, I was like you. I was always the smallest in the class, but that didn't stop me because I was also athletic, and I would play the game to win, and I would use the ball as a defensive mechanism. I would block with the ball. So see, I don't see how if you, you played the game correctly, even the weakest, the smallest could have a chance to win. And they're getting into psychology now to where – Look, if that that kid wants to win and he's competitive, he'll go against a better talent because in the end, going against a better talent will make him a better player. He may get smacked a few times, but he'll block the ball, and eventually, after a year or two, he'll be the one that's being picked, and then now he's the one that's dehumanizing the other team. So it's all about practice and getting better, and some people are not athletic, and it takes them time to learn. But anybody wants to learn to get better, they can and I think these guys are just arguing for the lazy way out. They, they don't want to train. They don't want to practice. Um, this is true. 
I'm trying to think. I, I read somewhere that dodgeball was not even listed as one of the uh, most violent sports. Soccer was ahead of that. I mean, there were. I mean, it wasn't even in the top ten as one of the most violent sports. Look, I've seen some very gruesome soccer injuries. So yeah, I could, I could get that. And this is probably one bit. I don't think do- dodgeball is even in the class of a. Uh, contact sport. If you catch the ball, you get it out of the way, you kind of have a problem. I agree, and this is sort of like making everyone wear a helmet when they ride a bike. It's not always necessary. Again, no, I completely agree, and I think this is just, again, psychobabble about dodgeball and it being dehumanizing. It's a game. It's like kickball. You could, we play kickball a lot, and you could kick the ball off of someone's face. How is that any different? You're simply using your foot, not your, you're not throwing it. No, I agree. The point of the game is to win, and that is what it should teach them. Teach them the skills necessary and to win. Fifth ed class, from what I remember, was more for exercise. It wasn't about winning or losing. Yeah, it's natural. I don't care how you bring up kids. Kids are going to go out there, and they want to compete. They want to win. They want to be the better one in any sport. They want to impress the teacher, impress the girl. They're going to go out there and compete. And, yeah, there are going to be weaker ones, and they're going to just have to learn. And in life— I mean, how many times have you heard about the geek who was in school and got picked on? It's now Bill Gates and a billionaire, 10 times over. So where's the equality there? I, you can't have a total equality. No, I, I, I know, guys. but this guy wants equality in, in dodgeball, but where's the equality in business? Well, when we were growing up, at least we were in different classes, but in my class at Our Lady of Grace, when the, whereas it was clearly a weaker team, the actual male gym teacher played on that weaker team and he would throw strikes. I mean, we're talking hard strikes. So he kind of evened it up that way. So there are ways to, I've even seen on YouTube that there were um, students versus teacher dodgeball. And I've seen those teachers actually rip that ball towards them. So sleeping in my class, I get it. It's yeah. a way to take out anger. Yeah. So our second uh, point of, uh, conversation about equality in sports goes to once again transgender competitors this is pretty much what we talked about in episode seven um specifically there was a transgender hurler who won the national championship and uh her name was uh cc teffler of the franklin pierce university a college hurdler hurdler Born male, but now competing as a female, who last month won NCAA's Women's National Championship, taking the 400-meter hurdles by more than a second. Tefler, formerly known as Craig, as recently as January 2018, ran with the Division II school men's track and field team. Tefler started going by the name CeCe when competing with the men before transitioning to the women's competition. And Tefler became the New Hampshire school's first women track and field champion. They interviewed, uh, ESPN interviewed Tefler on Outside the Lines, and she quote, quoted, if anything, me competing against uh, cisgender females is a disadvantage. My, according to her quote, my body is going through so many medical implications. It's going through biochemistry changes. So being on hormone replacement therapy, therapy results in muscle depletion. Your muscles are deteriorating. You lose a lot of strength because testosterone is where you get your strength, your agility. You, so I have to work twice as hard to keep that strength. And if I slack a day, then there's three days set behind. So I have to keep up all my 
workouts. I can't drink. I can't eat unhealthy or else it's going to impact me harder. What you just read is the same regiment for any athlete who trains. I absolutely agree. And that's exactly what I was going to say, that it has nothing to do with with her transitioning, that she no. would have to work just as hard. I, I guarantee you, Michael Phelps, who never transitioned, worked just as hard if he it would have to work just as hard if he fell behind. With his diet, with his training, with everything that that male said applied to Michael Phelps. You know, every athlete, those especially the world-class athletes in all the major sports, those guys train in the off-season. There may be two weeks off where they'll get time with their family. They're back to lifting weights, running, whatever it may be for aerobics to get their basketball players, want endurance, hockey for the same thing, off-ice training. That's just ridiculous. This is also from The Blaze from June 4th, 2019. Uh, according to the website Total Boy Sports, which researched some of Tefler's statistics as a male competitor, Tefler was an above-average male hurdler. But as women's hurdlers are lower, Tefler soon dominated the competition and became the top women's competitor in the women's 55-meter hurdles and the 55-meter sprint. NCA has a policy for transgender athletes for years. It is legal under NCAA bylaws for a biological male to compete in the women's division if that male has suppressed his test- testosterone levels for one year. A guidance document issued by issued and published by the NCAA took the stance that it is not accurate to assume that a male who has transitioned to become a transgender female has an unfair advantage over a biological woman, saying it is important not to overgeneralize. In this instance, I think the NCAA is wrong. Oh, absolutely. Because I was just going to say, um, apparently, even with his testosterone replacement, he's still running fast like he did with the testosterone. He hasn't really done that much. He's still, he's, be, he's blowing these girls out it's like even, the men would. To me, it's not even a point about running fast. It's a matter of he now has an unfair advantage. He still has the bone structure of a male. It doesn't matter what less testosterone or not. Bone structure, psychology. Body no, chemistry. Everything, correct. So I think it, it, it creates an unfair advantage when a um, M to F, male to female transgender, competes with biological women. I agree. And that kind of goes into our next one where a transgender weightlifter was stripped of the world record because – Well, this is from Yahoo Sports Canada. Mary Gregory sparked controversy earlier in May after claiming on Instagram that she had won nine out of nine events, which included setting a new Masters World Squat record, Open World Bench record, Masters World Deadlift record, and Masters World Total record. However, Raw, RAW Powerlifting Federation, have now decided to take the titles off the American athlete in a decision that could have huge ramifications for transgender athletes. The president of the Federation, Paul Bossi, told Mail Online that Gregory could not have been considered a female when she broke the records. It was revealed that the female lifter was actually a male in the process of becoming a transgender female, Bossi said. Our rules and the basis of separating genders for competition are based on physiological cl- classification rather than identification on the basis of all information presented to the board directors for this particular case the conclusion made is that the the correct physiological classification is male so therefore the ncaa is completely wrong well absolutely but this this isn't the ncaa this is that's that's my point yeah well i said that in the beginning if if raw or the ncaa used a raw definition there the the hurdler would have been stripped of his and wouldn't be allowed to compete. So that, that my, my question would be, why is one okay, the NCAA, and yet the other one got stripped? 
that's a complete contradiction. Well, here's what I agree with. Uh, quote from the uh, USA Powerlifting, men naturally have a larger bone structure, higher bone density, stronger connective tissue, and higher muscle density than women. These traits, even when reduced levels of testosterone, do not go away. While M to F, male to female, may be weaker and less muscled than they once were, the biological benefits giving them at birth still remain over than of a female. Even though they're weaker, they're still stronger than the females. It's not that hard. <sighs> so for them, I mean, I agree with Raw. This shouldn't be allowed. They strip all the titles. And the NCAA should need, they need to read this. I totally agree. There was also an angry back, backlash from Olympians. Great Britain Olympic swimmer Sharon Davis uh, tweeted, any records set by trans women, those born male with male biology and advantages should be removed when all this confusion and unfairness is sorted out. She I, called it an unfair playing field. I wonder how they would feel if Michael Phelps went transgender and competed against the ladies. Well, this particular Mary Gregory is complaining that the reason she got caught was because they made her um, take a urine test in front of someone, and apparently that someone saw her penis. If that makes sense, and so he's claim or she's claiming that that's the reason why had that not happened, she never would have lost her titles. So she got caught because she peed standing up. No, she was sitting down when it happened, but <laughs> so she was. <laughs> that's funny. Well, that's now, what she's claiming. Going into our third topic, and this one is probably the most interesting, is the U.S. women's soccer. Now, in the beginning here with the whole uh, protest for the ladies, how they want equal pay to the men's soccer team. They want to be uh, compensated in every single way as the men. And no, absolutely not. I would tell any of them, go try out for a men's MLS team, which is the Major League Soccer team, not the Olympic team. If they can, they make it, they can compete, and they get a contract, great. But they probably won't because they'll be destroyed and if not, hurt. So for what they're asking for, Megan Rapino is one of them, is complete equality, which she'll never get. Because to be equal, she would have to play with the men, and she's not realizing that she 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 can't. She will get destroyed. If she played against – look, the men's Olympic team hasn't been doing very well, and the women's team have. That doesn't mean the women should play with the men, that they're better than the men. I totally agree. I don't. I think that that will prove that they aren't equally as far as on the soccer field because most of the men would make the team if they were judged objectively. Most men would make the team and very few female would. If they played a game where the men didn't feel bad and it was all you know across-the-board competition, you think the ladies' team would even stand a chance against the men's team? And the men's team isn't really good. They get the men's team would destroy the ladies' team, so there's no equality. They can't be. What they're asking for cannot and never ha it will never happen. Well, there's also another issue I want to talk about in terms of Megan Rap Rapinoe, and that is her silent protest for against President Trump and the national anthem. Like I have no problem with a protest with the national anthem, whether you say it or don't say it, if you sit, stand, kneel, Wear a that hat, doesn't, whatever. that doesn't bother me at all. In fact, for decades, I would not stand for the national anthem, but not for the reasons she's refuses to stand. She, uh, this, according to the blaze again, a, the star for the women's soccer team kept her promise to ignore the celebration of the national anthem as an F you to president Donald Trump. To me, that is a problem. You want to protest, 
protest. If you want, don't want to stand, or or if you want to sit, you want to kneel, do it. But to do it as as in a effort of disrespect is absolutely wrong. Now I said this in episode seven, and I think it needs to be repeated. The point of fascism is to make the masses act as one. What are you doing when everybody in a 10,000-seat arena stands and sings the same song, trying to hit the same notes? It is the masses acting as one. It is inherently a fascist endeavor. And it's for that reason I refuse to stand with the masses. It doesn't mean I'm not patriotic. It doesn't mean I don't want America and I don't care about America. It means I refuse to do anything in a fascistic um, in an fascistic way. That to me is a philosophical reason not to stand for the na- national anthem. Saying you want to F you to any president, I don't care if it's Donald Trump or Barack Obama, that is uh, disrespectful and is wrong. I was going to bring that up because when Obama won, there were a lot of people who weren't happy about it and they were told, can't disrespect the office, got to respect it. There were some people, some athletes that didn't want to go to the White House, and they were ridiculed for not going to Obama's White House when they won championships. Now it's completely opposite. They're cheered when they don't go to Trump's um, parties, and these people now can say after president, but we couldn't say after president when Obama was in. That wasn't allowed. It was, no, you must honor the president. Where did that go? Where did I want to ask Mrs. Rapino? where did that go? How come it wasn't F Obama, but now it's F Trump and it's okay? Eight years ago, couldn't do that. Why? What has changed to where she can say F Trump, but I could not say F Obama or Barack Obama? That bothers me. I believe what has changed is, falsely or not, they are assuming that Trump is anti-gay, anti-LGBTQ, whatever. It's, they're just following and the press. and the, the point is, she's doing it because she's gay. And that... that uh, well, correct, and because the pisses her off, because the press, she, but the press have railed Trump for that reason. So she's just jumping on that bandwagon. That, period. End of story. That's really kind well, of where she's coming from, and that gets into the equal pay. Well, I think to she's the men. she's continuing on. We can talk about the equal pay. Oh in no, a second. she's making. I think she's no. She also did it to align herself with Colin Kaepernick when he did it. Okay, fine. I that kind of a, a protest I have no problem with. Now she can continue to do it just to give a metaphorical middle finger to the president, and that is where I say see it is being wrong. That's what Colin Kaepernick was doing, giving a metaphorical middle finger to Roger Goodell and all the uh, ex veterans out there. That you know, I, no, I, I don't think it was a metaphorical middle finger. I think he was actually trying to protest what he saw, right or wrongly, he saw as inequality in 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 America. Uh, black oppression, whatever. I don't really think that was strictly to Donald Trump. What Megan Rapinoe is doing is directly to Donald Trump. I think that's the difference. And that's why I think she's wrong in this instance. I, w- I completely agree with you there. So if we want to go back to the the issue of equal pay, um, they did a, a L did a article about um, Hope Solo and they talked about the equal pay and what went down. The 2015 World Cup final was watched by a reported 25 million Americans and remains the country's most viewed soccer match, male or female. But the tournament also highlighted long-standing discrepancies between the women's team and the men's. It was played on artificial turf and undisputedly more difficult terrain than natural grass, whereas the men's World Cup has always been on grass. When the women won, the team's bonus was $2 million. In two 2014, when the men lost in the 16th round, theirs was $9 million. No, I, I completely agree, but here we go again. This is not only really hard. 
they can't they can, they are not equal. They cannot compete with the men. They will get blown away. So it would justify that nine million for not winning, and the ladies only getting two two million. Okay, well. The article continues. It was about Hope Solo. So in 2015, at Hope Solo's urging, the team replaced their lawyer, who long represented the players' union with Nichols, known as a pugnacious approach, with a pugnacious approach. Nichols then hired Jeffrey Kessler and his colleagues at Winston & Strawn as outside counsel. Kessler handled Tom Brady's deflate gate, just so it's known. Other one of the opening moves, one of his opening moves was filing the EEOC suit. According to Kessler, it is almost classic example of gender discrimination. In 2016, if women won every one of the required 20 annual exhibition games, they could make $99,000. If the men lost everyone, they'd still be paid $100,000. And while top female players earn a salary similar to that of top men, in 2015, Hope Solo made Three hundred sixty-six thousand lower tier males could make ten times as much as comparable to women. This claim referenced the federation's own financial reports, which stated in two thousand fifteen generated twenty-four million in event revenue and two million more than the men. The women um, created that generated two twenty-four million. The USSF stated in response to this lawsuit filed in May that the women received guaranteed salaries while the men do not. Unlike the women, the men tend to have substantial professional club contracts to fall back on. The response also declares that differences in pay are based on differences in the aggregated revenue, meaning the men's team make more money, not necessarily through events, but via sponsorships and TV rights. 100% absolutely correct. And again, we're going to go back to simply... Look, ladies, play the men's team. Play them. Now, we're going back to Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs, but I kind of think he, he let her win, so whatever. But that if they play all, all, they want the equality. Like they say, they're equal. And the men aren't feeling sorry, which they wouldn't be equal now because the men were feeling bad that they were killing them because the men are giving up now. So they're not equal anymore. They will get destroyed. And then what all that guy just said there is irrelevant because they're not equal. We've been about discrimination. People discriminate 100 times a day when they got married. They discriminated when they chose their wife, their partner. When they go get something to eat at a fast food or a restaurant, they're discriminating between why and they pick the other restaurant. They're just trying to see they're using the word discrimination, as you point out, in the wrong context. And that's the problem. They're not equal. Sorry, as you said before, where's the only place where you get equality? Uh, the local graveyard where everyone's equally dead. Okay, Megan Rapino, that's the, that's the place that when you want equality, if you want it, that's where you got to go. Sorry. Well, it's like you said. There's no way that you can have a total equality because earlier you brought up the results would always be a tie if it was equal. There'd be no winner losers, which once again we get to the participation trophies, which is the same exact. There's the equality. That's that's, that's, that's not, the result of it. That's not entertaining. No, it's not. So if but all that's the, what they want. That's the outcome they are asking for, whether they know it or not. It may be unwittingly, but that's what they're asking for, a tie in every single situation. If they want to bring the men's pay down, then the men start tying all the time. The, the, the viewership would go down. And they wouldn't make the money. Their pay would drop. Well, it's not just men. Every sport. They want total equality in every sport. It doesn't. Yeah. Women's hockey, men's hockey. I want to get back to the Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean King because I don't think Billie Jean King may have been the best woman at the time, but Bobby Riggs wasn't. I would like to see the best woman play the best man in any sport. I don't care if it's golf. I don't care if it's uh, tennis like uh, Bobby Riggs and, and Billie Jean King. Any sport. I, oh, but you really want to see? Well, you really want to see a difference? Let's look at hockey. 
No, I'm, I guarantee I you there's gonna, not a single, or very few anyways, that would be able to compete with the likes of Sidney Crosby or, or Claude Giroux, or, I mean, any of the, the great well, players. Watch an NHL game, then watch a women's game, and you will see how slow and literally how anti-checking the women are compared to the men. It's not equal. It can't be. I mean, when I watch some of the women, the Olympic women, it reminds me of men's beer leagues. You know, some of the things they do in the size. I mean, the women are kind of our size. You know, they're small. So it's not the same, but I was going to bring up the, the women's hockey. They're good players in some of those games. With oh, I think the women are great players, but they don't, they're not even close to being equal to the men. Oh, the, the, not the, even close the, as far as athletic sports goes. And you put it on, and put them on skates, the men would just, even though they're on skates too, they would just tower over them. It, it wouldn't be funny. It'd be horrifying if that really happened. So again, even for uh, Mrs. Rapino, equality, it, it can't happen. What she wants just will not happen. And I think you had brought up, she's looking for an, an unequal advantage for all this here. She wants to gain. I just want to cl- clarify. In the uh, our world, I think women should have the equal opportunity to have any job they want. A very wise philosopher once said that women should be able to have any job except professional football player or longshoreman. Any other job a woman should be able to go after and have. I totally agree with that. But I'm, I don't see the kind of equality they're looking for on any sports field. It cannot happen. Nope, I agree. And I don't think when the U.S. women dominated uh, Thailand, it was dehumanizing. They were just uh, most of the press countries were outraged because they were celebrating after it was seven nothing and ten nothing. Look, that's the look. Thailand was horrible, but stop them. But that's not also I heard. I also people complain that they didn't l- let up after seven. What's the point? No, but there is a point to scoring those goals. The point is that the tiebreaker is in goal differential it's in soccer, it's and a- it matters. It's aggregate score. And Alexei Lalas pointed that out. I don't know the announcer, but he I don't know if he was the host or if he was on the Olympic Committee, but he was going after right and he said, and I quote, they should give up or let taking their a foot off the throat after three nothing. They didn't need to score four. It was over at halftime. They didn't need to score seven goals. And Alexei basically said, What do you want to do? Roll over? And he yes. So that means they roll over and then Thailand catches up and they lose. I brought that that's up. That's okay. I brought that up earlier. I think that's what their goal is. That's the whole point. We let up. They came back. We gave that game to them. How many times did we hear that? We lost that game. They didn't win the game. We lost it. We gave that game to them. You're right. That's what they want. One of the classic hallmark identifications of evil is hating the good for being good. Not for their vices, not for their wrongdoings, but because they're good. And this is an example of that. They didn't go after them because they did, they were bad. They went after them because they're too good. Yeah, it's almost like the Detroit fans hating Matt Stafford because he's good and they're not. They're jealous that they can't do what he does and gets paid all that money. Uh, Even, I don't know about Matt Stafford. I kind of don't think they hate him like that. A oh, better example, do. a better they example do. is how Detroit fans hate Sidney Crosby because he is so good. That's I, I know, you're right, but Detroit fans hate Matthew Stafford on that level of. City. I know that sounds ridiculous, but they do because he hasn't taken him anywhere. I, that's a different topic. See, I'm I just think more. But, I think it's not as hate because hate is what, oh, what I replied to Sidney Crosby. It, it's 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 more of a, a genuine. A deep dislike, a disappointment because he didn't take him to the promised land. When I hear sports radio and they bring up the Lions, there's nothing but, and I'm talking venom and hate coming from these callers. It, and it's not pretty. But you sure that's you coming get one, from a place of disappointment or coming from a place of hate? See, I, I think, think it's coming from a place of disappointment. I think, no, I think it's jealousy because the, they can't do what Stafford does. And Stafford makes 26 million. That 
bothers. I go to work. I'm a Joe Lunchbox. I work 40 hours. He doesn't work 40 hours. He is getting paid. It's a jealousy. You know, it's, it's almost like they want that equality. If he can make twenty six well, million, no. They, first of all, they can't do it as good as Stanford. I completely agree. That's no different than saying I, I, I want why, I want Bill Gates money. They can't do what he did as good as him. That's why I bring it up because the women can't do it with the men's soccer team. Can that's why I brought that up. But some of the the fans do hate certain of their stars because it's an envy. They can't do it. They think they're better. They played high school sports. You know how many times I hear a person calling? I played college ball. Like they know what they're talking about. They have to get that out there. They have to brag about it to make it justify that they can criticize Matt Stafford now when really it's because he makes all that money. Again, it's a jealousy, but we're kind of digressing. But it, there's also – I don't think Ms. Rapino understands what she wants and the result that if it came through – and you have a little story that you're going to read basically that's going to explain what happens when it's all equal. This is for, uh, by Kurt Vonnegut Jr., and it's uh, Harrison Bergeron. It's going to take about five or so minutes, so bear with me. The year was 2081, and everyone was finally equal. There weren't only equal before God and the law. They were equal in every which way. Nobody was smarter than anyone else. Nobody was better looking than anybody else. Nobody was stronger or quicker than anybody else. All of this equality was due to the 211th, 212th, and 213th Amendments to the Constitution and to the unceasing vigilance of agents of the United States Handicapper General. Some things about living still weren't quite right, though. April, for instance, still drove people crazy for not being springtime. And it was in that clammy month that the H.G. men took George and Hazel Bergeron's 14-year-old son, Harrison, away. It was tragic, all right, but George and Hazel couldn't think about it very very hard. Hazel had a perfectly average intelligence, which meant she couldn't think about anything except in short bursts. And George, while his intelligence was way above normal, had a little mental handicap radio in his ear. He was required by law to wear it at all times. It was turned, it was tuned to a government transmitter. Every 20 seconds or so, the transmitter would send out a sharp noise to keep people like George from taking unfair advantage of their brains. George and Hazel were watching television. There were tears in Hazel's cheeks, but she'd forgotten for the moment what they were about. On the television screen were ballerinas. A buzzer sounded in George's head, and his thoughts fled in panic, like bandits from a burglar alarm. There was really, there was a really pretty dance. That dance they just did, said Hazel. Huh, said George. The dance, it was nice, said Hazel. Yep, said George. He tried to think about the ballerinas. They weren't really very good, no better than anyone else have been anyways. They were burdened with sash weights and bags of birdshot, and their faces were masked. So no one, seeing a free and graceful gesture or a pretty face, would feel like something the cat drug in. George was toying with the vague notion that many dancers shouldn't be handicapped, but he didn't get very far with it before another noise in his radio scattered his thoughts. George wince. So did two of the eight ballerinas. Hazel saw him wince. Have no, having no mental handicap herself, she had to ask George what the latest sound been. Sound like someone hitting a milk bottle with a ball bean hammer, said George. I think it would be real interesting hearing all the different sounds, said Hazel, a little nervous. All the things they think up, mm, said George. Only if I was handicapper general, you know what I would do, said Hazel. Hazel, as a matter of fact, bore a strong resemblance to the handicapper general, a woman named Deanna Moon Glampers. If I were Deanna Moon Glampers, said Hazel, I have chimes on Sunday, just chimes, kind of in honor of religion. I could think if it was just chimes, George said. Well, maybe make them real loud, said Hazel. I think I'd make a good handicapper general. Good as anybody else, said George. 
Who knows better than I do what normal is, said Hazel. Right, said George. He began to think glimmeringly about his abnormal son, who is now in jail, about Harrison. But a 21-gun salute in his head stopped that. Boy, said Hazel, that was a doozy, wasn't it? It was such a doozy that George was white and trembling. Tears stood at the rim of his red eyes. Two of the eight ballerinas had collapsed to the studio floor, were holding their temples. All of a sudden, you look so tired, said Hazel. Why don't you stretch out on the sofa so you can rest your handicapped bag of pillows, honey bunch? She was referring to the 47 pounds of birdshot in a canvas bag that was padlocked around George's neck. Go on and rest the bag for a while, she said. I don't care if you're not equal to me for a while. George weighed the bags in his hands. I don't mind it, he said. I don't notice it anymore. It's just part of me. You've been so tired lately, kind of worn out, said Hazel. I think we're just some of the way we could make a little hole in the bottom of the bag and just take a few of them lead balls, just a few. Two years in prison, $2,000 fine for every ball I took out, said George. I don't call that a bargain. If you could just take a few out when you came home from work, said Hazel. I mean, you don't compete with anybody around here. You just sit around. If I tried to get away with it, said George, other people would get away with it, and pretty soon we'd be right back to the dark ages again, where everybody competing against everybody else. You wouldn't like that, would you? I'd hate it, said Hazel. There you are, said George. The minute people started cheering on, cheating on laws, what do you think happens to society? If Hazel had been able to come up with an answer to this question, George couldn't have supplied one. A siren had gone off in his head. Reckon it all fall apart, said Hazel. What would, said George blankly. Society, said George, un said Hazel uncertainly. Was that what you just said? Who knows, says George. The telephone program was suddenly interrupted for, for a news bulletin. It wasn't clear at first as to what the bulletin was about, since the announcer, like all announcers, had a serious speech impediment. For about half a minute, and in a state of high excitement, the announcer tried to say, ladies and gentlemen, he finally gave up and handed the bulletin to a ballerina to read. That's all right, Hazel said to the announcer. He tried. That's the thing. He tried to do the best he could with what God gave him. He should get a nice raise for trying so hard. Ladies and gentlemen, said the ballerina, reading the bulletin. She must have been extraordinarily beautiful because the mask she wore was hideous. And it was easy to see that she was the strongest and most graceful of all the dancers. For her handicapped bags were as big as those worn by 200-pound men. And she had to apologize at once for her voice, which was a very unfair voice for a woman to use. Her voice was warm, luminous, timeless melody. Excuse me, she said as she began, making her voice absolutely uncompetitive. Harrison Bergeron, age 14, she said with a crackle squawk. He had just escaped from jail where he'd been held on suspicion of planning to overthrow the government. He's a genius and an athlete, is under handicapped, and should be regarded as extremely dangerous. A police photograph of Harrison Bergeron was flashed on the screen upside down, then sideways, upside down again, then right side up. The pictures showed the full length of Harrison against the background, calibrated in feet and inches. He was exactly seven feet tall. The rest of Harrison's appearances was Halloween and hardware. Nobody had ever borne heavier handicaps. He had grown hindrance faster than the HG men could think them up. Instead of a little radio ear for a mental handicap, he wore a tremendous pair of earphones and spectacles with thick wavy lenses the spectacles were indeed to make him not only half blind but to give him wanging headaches besides 
Scrap medals hung all over him. Ordinarily, there was a certain symmetry, a military neatness to the handicaps issued to strong people. But Harrison looked like a walking junkyard. In the race of life, Harrison carried 300 pounds. And to offset his good looks, the ATMM required that he wear at all times a red rubber ball for a nose, keep his eyebrows shave off, shaved off, and cover his even white teeth with black caps at a snaggletooth random. If you see this boy, the ball- said the ballerina, do not, I repeat, do not try to reason with him. There was a shriek at the door, of the door being torn apart from its hinges. Screams and barking cries of consternation came from the television set. The photograph of Harrison Bergeron on the screen jumped again and again, as though dancing in the tune of the earthquake. George Bergeron correctly identified the earthquake as he well might have. For many was the time his own home had danced in the same crushing tune. My God, said George, that must be Harrison. The realization was blasting his mind instantly by the sound of an automobile collision in his head. When George could open his eyes again, the photograph of Harrison was gone. A living, breathing Harrison filled the screen. Clocking, clownish and huge, Harrison stood at the center of the studio. The knob of the uprooted studio door was still in his hand. Ballerinas, technicians, musicians and announcers cowered to their knees before him, expecting to die. I am the emperor, cried Harrison. Do you hear? I am the emperor. Emperor. Everyone must do what I say at once. He stamped his foot and the studio shook. Even as I stand here, he bellowed, crippled, hobbled, sickened. I am a greater ruler than any man who ever lived. Now watch me become what I can become. Harrison tore the straps of his handicapped harness like a wet tissue paper, tore straps guaranteed to support 5,000 pounds. Harrison's scrap iron handicaps crushed, crashed to the floor. Harrison thrust his thumbs under the bar of the padlock and secured his head harness. The bar snapped like celery. Harrison smacked, smashed his headphones and spectacles against the wall. He flung away his rubber ball nose, revealed the man who would have awed Thor, the god of thunder. I shall now select my empress, he said, looking down at the cowering people. Let the first woman who dares rise to her feet claim her mate and her throne. A moment passed, and then a ballerina arose, swaying like a willow. Harrison plucked a metal handicap from her ear, snapped off her physical handicaps with a marvelous delicacy. Last of all, he removed her mask. She was blindingly beautiful. Now, said Harrison, taking her hand, shall we show the people the meaning of the words dance, music, he commanded. The musicians scrambled back to their chairs, and Harrison stripped them of their handicaps too. Play your best, he told them. I'll make you barons and dukes and earls. The music began. It was a normal at first, cheap, silly, false. But Harrison snatched two musicians from their chairs, waved them like batons as he sang the music he wanted it played. He slammed them back into their chairs. The music began again, began again and was much improved. Harrison and his empress merely listened to the music for a while, listening gravely as though synchronizing their heartbeats with it. They shifted their weights to their toes. Harrison placed his big hands on the girl's tiny waist, letting her sense the weightlessness that would soon be hers. And then, in an explosion of joy and grace, into the air they sprang. Not only were the laws of the land abandoned, but the law of gravity and the laws of motion as well. They reared, reeled, whirled, swiveled, flaunced, capered, and spun. They leaped like a deer on the moon. And the studio ceiling was 30 feet high, but each leap brought the dancers nearer to it. It became their obvious intention to kiss the ceiling. They kissed it. And then, neutrally gravity with love and pure will, they remained suspended in the air inches below the ceiling, and they kissed each other for a long, long time. It was then that Diana Moon Glampers, the handicapper general, came into the studio with a double-barrel 10-gauge shotgun, fired twice, and the emperor and empress were dead before they hit the floor. 
Diana Moon Glampers loaded the gun again. She aimed at the musicians and told them they had 10 seconds to get their handicaps back on. It was then that the birds were on television to burned out. Hazel turned to comment about the blackout to George, but George had gone into the kitchen for a can of beer. George came back in with the beer, paused while a handicap signal shook him up, and then he sat down. You've been crying, he said to Hazel. Yup, she said. What about, he said. I forget, she said. Something real sad on television. What was it, he said. It's all kind of mixed up in my mind, said Hazel. Forget sad things, said George. I always do, said Hazel. That's my girl, said George. He winced. There was a sound of a riveting gun in his head. Gee, I could tell that one was a doozy, said Hazel. You can say that again, said George. Gee, said Hazel. I could tell that one was a doozy. There is the ultimate outcome of the equality these people are asking for. So, yes, Miss Rapino, is that what you want? Is that what you're looking for? Because that's what you're going to get with you want equality. Landed at that. This is the Grand Designs podcast. Let me tell you where you can get in touch with us first before we let you go. Uh, our website is Grand Designs Podcast at Yahoo.com. Our email is Grand Designs Podcast at Yahoo. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Grand Designs Pod. Instagram is at Grand Designs Podcast. You can hear this podcast just about anywhere you get podcasts now. This is the Grand Designs Podcast. Who are you listening to?